Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. If I haven't met you, part of the pastoral team, and along with Pastor Chip and uh, Pastor Lori serving today, and, and Pastor Scott at South Euclid, I uh, want to say hi to everybody who's uh, worshiping on online on our Facebook Live. We're glad that we're all here together. And we just started a series last week. Pastor Chip kicked it off on Vision 2020 and asking God, "How is God leading us in?" not only this calendar year, but in the years to come, in the near time future, the long time term future, how is God calling each one of us? It's individual and it's collective. No matter how long you may have been a Christian or maybe you're not even sure yet, if you are a Christian, wherever you are on that spectrum, this is a new day. God is inviting you to, to serve. He has a calling for you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Last week, Pastor Chip gave a definition of discipleship because we're talking in this year about going deeper in discipleship. That's why we're talking about, will you be one of the 200? And I'm very sad because my button fell off my pants and it's over there, but I do have one and I am sporting it proudly. Um, But because serving is a way that you can make your walk with Jesus deeper. And, And Pastor Chip gave this definition of a disciple. He asked the challenging question, are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you willing to get off of your comfort zone? And one of our volunteers said that and go the distance and commit your life to Jesus Christ. And so he said that a disciple is is someone who follows Jesus or knows that Jesus is calling them to follow him on an amazing adventure. That's what discipleship is. God calls and we follow. And it's the part that gets left off, I think, a lot of times in in church and Christianity is people forget it's fun. Like, it's just plain fun to follow God. It's not like this, oh, that stupid God. You know, no. It's fun. It's an adventure. It's something that when I was away from God so many years uh, prior to uh, becoming a Christian as an adult, I, I thought that it was like it was boring, it was stupid, it was um, just Christians were like dull people. It's not true because we have the life that really is life. And so we're starting on this year of vision. And today, from this uh, passage in Jeremiah, we'll talk about what does it look like. But I want to let you know next week, Onia Okawobi is going to be our guest preacher at all our services. We'll be uh, sending the video over to South Euclid. She'll be online, of course. And if you don't know Onia, she is a a fellow worker, fellow leader in the Mosaics uh, International Network and um, with Pastor Chip and Mark Damas. And she and her husband have decided to plant a church 
in um, Cincinnati area. It's, it's called 21st Century Church. It's 200% for those who are unchurched, don't go to church. And they're going to build it around kind of a table ministry. We talked about being at the table a couple months ago in our series, and simply the idea that we connect as we share a meal together, as we're in small groups together, and that that's a model for the church. And so on that Sunday, we're going to actually have a special offering for Dale and Onia's church, for the 21st Century Church, that you'll be able to um, help participate in widening the circle in this amazing way. And, and next Sunday, we'll, be, uh, we'll celebrate, as we have, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday. And so Onia will be helping us to look into that vision. And Dr. King had a vision, didn't he? He had a vision. He had a dream. He saw that church could be different and people could be different and society, the culture could be different. And he continues to lead us today. So we celebrate his witness, his impact um, next week. So really excited about that. And then on the last Sunday in January, Pastor Chip will close out this series on vision. But again, we'll be visioning all, all year and into the years to come and challenging us, how do we live on our faith? This, we're talking about serving. We'll be talking about worship in the months to come and, and being in groups and other ways to live on our faith, to go deeper, to be challenged to live on as Jesus Christ. So if you've been around here a while, and some of you have and some of you haven't, you may have heard Pastor Chip preach on it. He's preached on it a couple of times last, you know, 10, 15 years. And it's a scripture that we lift up from time to time as part of, as we look towards our vision, as we look at our identity as God's people. Other scriptures that you may hear is Acts 8.8. 8. We're called to bring joy to the city. People should be happy that, we're here. Whether or not they believe, they should be glad that we have things like Night to Shine, that we have outreach events and other things that impact the city of which we're a part. And so we, other, other scriptures that we kind of lift up from time to time is Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal sons, uh, people who are far from God. God brings them in. God seeks and saves the lost. And Acts 16, if Every couple of years, Pastor Chip preaches on this. It's about the formation of the leadership of the, and the planting in the church in Philippi, uh, the healthiest church that Paul writes about, and it was from a, a slave girl, a Roman centurion, and a wealthy woman named Lydia who dealt in purple cloth. And it was from those very different people that God formed, God planted a very healthy church. So these are some scriptures we go back to, and we wanted to come to Jeremiah today to look at what does it look like? What does it mean when we go out and live as disciples? Because the pattern of the church is to gather and to scatter. We gather for worship, we gather in groups, and then we go out and we scatter out into wherever God may send us, and we'll talk about that. But if we just come here and we're like, okay, check it off, right? Or if we just want to get filled, and then we're getting filled and filled and filled, but we never give out, that's not the life that God calls us to. And so we want to look at what this passage tells us about that. And I think it's a powerful word for us. And it takes place in around 597 or 587 BC. And the people of Jerusalem have been attacked by King Nebuchadnezzar, who's a very powerful king in Babylon. And they attacked again. But this time, the king decides that he is going to take some of the leaders, I mean, it's very interesting how intentional he is. You heard it was the queen mother and 
prophets and priests and leaders and craftsmen and everybody that he takes out of Jerusalem and takes them to Babylon. Why does he do this? Because the Israelites were particularly rebellious and they weren't uh, submitting to military force the way he wanted them to. So he figures if he can get them out of where they live and um, have them be in Babylon for a period of time, they'll forget their ways, they'll become acclimatized, they'll assimilate, and then they won't be so resistant to military force. It was a common way of dealing with uh, conflict and um, overtaking different peoples in different cities. And so here's these people, they've been through a trauma, they're way out, away from where they've come from, and in that time people kind of associated their gods with where they live, so they feel they've been separated from the Lord, and they are just deflated, they're depressed. And so what do they do? They know what King Nebuchadnezzar tries to do in making people be exiles, and so they're off in this little homogenous enclave, just all by themselves, away from the city, and by the uh, canal, uh, the Kibar Canal. But here come, and they have these prophets with them, and they're saying, hey guys, hold on, it's just going to be a couple years, you can make it, we'll be back in Jerusalem in no time. And then comes this bombshell of a letter that Jeremiah shares that's a word from the Lord. And it says something so shocking to them. It says, you need to go to the city, live in the city, you need to plant gardens and eat the food, you need to build houses and live in them, you need to have families so that you increase and you don't decrease. And he gives them this vision and they're like, oh my gosh, Like how this is not what we want to do. But God calls them to go into the city and live among what they consider to be these pagans, this corrupt culture and this society. And you hear me talk about exiles and this is you know 600 years BC and, and what does this have to do with us? Well, first of all, I don't know what your experience is, but I know there have been times in my life when I felt like an exile. Times when I felt left down and abandoned or not sure I fit in and felt like there was no place for me, that I was far away. I don't know what your experience is. But also, in the New Testament, Christians are always referred to as exiles. If you look at James 1.1, it says, to the exiles that are scattered among the nation. And 1 Peter 1.1, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. Scattered. They're exiles. We're exiles. Philippians 3.20 says that we're citizens of a heavenly city, a heavenly kingdom. Some translations say that we are a colony of heaven. That's amazing. We're a colony of heaven, and God has called us to that. And so all Christians are exiles. We're resident aliens, so we live in one place, but we're different. We're not just tourists. We're not just trying to get something out of where we're at. We live there. We're residents, but we're not citizens. Our allegiance is somewhere else. 
to God Almighty, to Jesus Christ. That's where our allegiance is. That's where our citizenship is, to the, to the heavenly kingdom. And so Jeremiah helps us understand our call individually and collectively. And, you know, I, um, this is going to seem like a non sequitur, but I've been going to the same person who does my hair for quite a long time, longer than I care to say. She was in my church that I came out of for ministry. Her name is Michelle. And um, she used to be in small groups that I led uh, before I went to seminary and full-time ministry, and we had this connection. She was the person who convinced me when I was in my 30s that I shouldn't go gray. This is not my natural color. <laughs> Surprise! Um, but she's been uh, someone that I, I have the privilege of really being her pastor. She's not currently worshiping at a church. She's trying to get back plugged in. She's over on the west side. And um, she... I know when I come in, but she, and if I'm preaching, she's going to say, Terry, what are you preaching about? And I'm like, oh, no. It's sort of like some of you feel if you're in a small group and someone says you have to share a God moment, right? And so, so what I said to Michelle was that this passage helps us understand that we're planted with purpose so that there's a reason that we are where we are and that we need to make ourselves at home, that we need to be where we are, actually, and then we need to love in place that we need to love and pray for the place where we are. So that's, that's it. That's the, the quick version of it. So we can all go home. No. I have worked with Pastor Chip Freed too long. You're not going anywhere. And so God tells them to go, into, go back into Babylon. And it's very interesting. So why are they plant, planted with purpose? go back to the scripture for a second. So in verse 1, it says Nebuchadnezzar had carried them into exile. Look what it says in verse 4 and 7. It says it somewhere else a little further on too. God says, I carried them into exile. I carried them. There may have been social forces. There may have been King Nebuchadnezzar involved, but I'm the one who carried them. And I love, by the way, that image of carried. There's something very tender. Because the way, I mean, when I hear King Nebuchadnezzar doing it, I think of, you know, bodies thrown over backs or, you know, I don't know. All right, this wasn't in the sermon. It probably shouldn't be. Um, But there's something tender to me about God carrying them. And so there were social forces. There was a king. But God used it for his purposes. And notice that it's a city. They were out kind of in the uh, more rural area, dare say suburban but he wants them in the city where they're going to build houses and plant gardens why well cities today are exploding 200 years ago only five percent of populations were in cities today it's at least 50 percent we're on our way to 75 percent people sociologists say that people are moving into cities at the rate of five million people a month that's throughout the world. And so Rob, Roger Greenway, who's a missiologist, a guy who studies missions, um, says that in, in the book of Acts in the 17th chapter that it talks about how God places people so they might hear the gospel. His contention is that people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, people of all different kinds are being gathered together in cities so that they might be within earshot of the gospel. And so to, to be in the cities... The churches need to be in the cities, but people are going to cities in far greater numbers than churches are going into cities. 
And so there's a big gap there. And so that's part of why you'll see on our logo for this series, we put a skyline of Cleveland. Whether or not you live in Cleveland proper, we're part of this bigger metropolitan area. And there are cities within the city, but overall, we're called to be in the city. And God is calling churches to be in the city, and the churches are not responding. And so we're planted with purpose, even as Garfield. This community in Babylon was called to be unique, to be different than they expected, to, to be where they were, to settle down and make roots. We have a unique witness, too. The most obvious one, we hear about it, we talk about it, is our diversity, that we are showing the world something different of people who can be together, who are different, but unified to the one God. And so a unique witness that we have in the city. And so God has planted Garfield in its locations and has planted you with purpose. Whether you've been in Cleveland all your life, whether you've been here just to come to school, get married, get a job, whether you think you're going to be gone in a matter of months, I'll tell you how I got to Cleveland. So I was, before ministry, way before, I was in publishing. And I was in textbook, college textbook publishing and uh, working for Random House. And the way to become an editor, and I'm from originally the suburbs of New York City, went to college in Boston, and so wanted to you know, go back to New York City and, and work at Random House, be an editor. So the way to do that in college textbook publishing is sales. So you get a sales territory. So when I was ready to do this, uh, there was a territory open in Indianapolis, Minneapolis, and Cleveland. And I thought, well, Cleveland is probably the lesser of the three evils. <laughs> I did know one person in Cleveland who was in med school at Case. So I decided to go to Cleveland. Well, and, and I'm, I completely repent of all this, what I'm going to tell you, but this is just the story. So. All my friends from Boston and New York were like holding funerals for me. They're like, you're moving where? <laughs> the mistake on the lake, you know, the river's been on fire in 1969 and 12 times before that. And people couldn't believe I was going to this wasteland. Again, I repent. I love Cleveland. So I'd been here, you know, selling books, and I'd been here about a year, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to admit, I live in Ohio. I'm going to get an Ohio driver's license. So I go to the Golden Gate uh, BMV, and I see this guy who's kind of cute, start talking. His name is Joe. We've been married 40 years. I don't know if he picked me up or I picked him up, but a year to the day after we met, we got married. So I don't recommend that necessarily, but that's how it was for us. And God has brought us through it. Well, why do I tell you that story? I don't know how you got to Cleveland, but subsequent for me, deciding then to stay in Cleveland and make, make it my home, I had, God called me into ministry. I get to be, I've been here at Garfield for 16 years. Um, God had, plants us with purpose. So I don't know how you got to Cleveland, but God knows, whether it seems like it was some circumstances, know that God has put you here, and God has a purpose. And to be here then, how do we respond? We need to make a home here. Right. We made to get immersed because God is calling us to plant gardens and to have families and to be part of the community. And the best image, and I give props to Pastor Chip as we kind of talk through some of the things in this message, is an illustration from Jesus 
in one of his parables that's in Luke and it's in Matthew, the parable of the yeast. And so he says that um, Jesus asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, I went through a period where I decided, I don't know why, I think because I'm an old hippie, that I was going to make every single bread product from scratch in our house. So that means I made bagels, I made pita bread. Did you know you have to boil bagels before you bake them? <laughs> True. And cinnamon, everything. So I learned a lot about yeast and that it has to be distributed in order to do its magic. And I had some epic fails where the least yeast just kind of clumped together and was this soggy mess. And so this, this woman here, as she works that, and that's a huge quantity. I mean, to knead that much dough, 60 pounds of flour, she had big guns. <laughs> and she, it was enough food for about 150 people. But I think this is a model for us that we need to be yeast in the dough. So we need to be in the dough first, that we need to be immersed in the communities where we are, not holding ourselves back, not kind of being too good, like maybe I was when I first moved to Cleveland, or you know, separate ourselves artificially, but to say, this is, this is where I am. And the best example, or not the best example, but one example from our church is a woman named Aisha Frazier. Some of you know her, some of you didn't, but she was um, tragically died. She was murdered a, a year ago on November 17th. And she worked in our cafe. She worked in our children's ministry. She was a single mom with two daughters, one of whom learns in special ways. And she poured herself in. She was a teacher in the Shaker school system. She intentionally went there because of its diversity. And she found her way to Garfield, and she told Pastor Chip that it, the diversity, the safety, were things that drew her and made her feel like this was her church home. But I remember going to the vigil um, at the school where she taught in Shaker, a candlelight vigil, and there were so many lights and so many testimonies that people shared. And here's the amazing thing. We knew she was very active at Garfield, but she was also very active in her sorority and influencing there. She was active in community groups. She was active in the political arena. And when all these people got together, and this church couldn't even hold her funeral, all the groups realized, oh, I didn't know she did that. I didn't know she did that. And so she was like yeast, distributed in the dough, making an impact. And I, I don't know if she knows it. I hope she hears from heaven what an impact she made. And, and I don't hold her up. It, it's a uh, prominent example, but there are so many people here that are yeast in the dough. And we've seen families that move to neighborhoods so their kids can be in diverse school systems. And that intentionally, you know, have come to Garfield and, and understand that it's not just about being part of a church with everybody, but living a life with everybody, to live a multi-ethnic life, to, to break bread with people who vote different than you. Because we've learned, we can, we've been through three elections here at Garfield in the time Chip and I have been here, and we have discovered we can vote differently but love the same. And so the other part of being the yeast, though, is that it's easy to forget sometimes that we are the yeast. So we're the yeast in the dough. That's part of our identity. And so if we'd read a little further, 
we would have seen in verse 10 that God says in 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. So they're going to go home eventually. That's what God tells them. And they need to retain their identity and continue to be God's people. Back to, we're citizens of another kingdom. So it's easy to, what are the two choices we generally want to make? We want to assimilate and be like everybody else. And sadly, if you see polls of Christians in terms of behaviors, there's pretty much no difference between Christians and non-Christians in terms of um, marriage breaks up and adultery and, and other pornography and other things. There's practically no difference in some surveys, which is not how we're called to live. But they, it's important to remember that we are the yeast, that we have a different call, and that it's easy to either assimilate and become like everybody else in the culture, so what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted, or we feel like we need to go off in some little enclave where we just be our own little selves and we just pat each other on the back, be like a club. But we are called to be both yeast and be in the dough. It's hard. It's hard. But that's what we're called to. That's what God calls us to. And so we need to remember. And Jesus also talks about how we're a light to the world. We're a city on a hill. And I think of the vision that John had in Revelation 21 of the new Jerusalem coming down. And so we're to be little mini cities as Garfield, as individuals, wherever we are, because the yeast gets in the dough and it becomes hard to see. That's why we also need to, sorry for the mixed metaphors and similes, but we need to be on a hill and visible. Do you know Cleveland consistently is ranked as one of the most segregated cities in the United States. We need to change that. We need to be a different witness. We need to be a mini city on a hill in order to show that people can walk and work and worship and love together. Which brings to the last piece of what I think is a takeaway for us to live out our discipleship out, being scattered, being exiles, is to love in place. We need to love. There's an amazing verse. Verse 7 is like the epicenter of this where God says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you'll prosper. That's not a prosperity gospel. It's just saying that your good and the city's good are tied up together. They're connected. So to pay, pray for the peace and prosperity would have been, oh my goodness, this is crazy. We have to take two or more words to translate that. The original word in Hebrew is shalom, which in, in embodies so much its wholeness and its flourishing on every level that you can imagine. And then to, to pray really means to love. And, and what do you pray for? What do I pray for? There was a survey that uh, Lifeway did that said, that we typically pray for family and friends 82% of the time, our own problems 74%, enemies 37%. Jesus has something to say about that. Government leaders 12%. No wonder we're in such a mess. And then 36% of survey participants said they typically pray for financial prosperity, 21% to win the lottery, and 13% for their favorite sport teams to win. Apparently, that is not the case in Cleveland. <laughs> what can I say? 
That's what we pray for, but that's not what we're called to pray for. We're called to pray for our enemies, for those that we think are against us. And that's not natural. It's not something we want to do. The great theologian and Pastor Bonhoeffer talked about how when he prays for someone, a sister or brother, that he has an issue with, that he has a problem with, that eventually, by that intercession, by praying for them, he finds that he can, his vision of them is transformed into someone that he loves, someone he can see is a forgiven sinner of Jesus Christ. We need to pray for our enemies, and it's not easy. I read a story by, that Kent Hughes shared. He's a theologian or wrote a commentary on Luke, and he talked about a, a missionary he'd met who had been serving in a really difficult situation, and she was on uh, furlough, on renewal, on leave, and so she was excited. She was moving to a townhouse. It had a patio. She liked to tinker with potted plants. I just kill them, but she liked to do that. And she was so excited to be making this move and be in her own place until she met her neighbors. They were noisy. They played music at all hours. And it wasn't music she liked. Their vocabulary was such that if I used it or Pastor Chip used it on stage here, we would be fired right away. They, in full daylight, would urinate on the lawn. And she tried real hard to love these people because she knows she was a Christian. She's a missionary. She'd been in some far-off place. So she tried, but didn't get much lit, you know, headway into the relationship. And then one day she comes home, and her beautiful patio, the children of the neighbors, had spray-painted it with orange paint. She was devastated. She was furious. She went in her house and she said, God, I, I know you call me to love them, but I hate them. And so she went into her devotional time and she meditated on scriptures. In Colossians, in Colossians 3, there's a part that says to put on love. And she thought, I need to put on love. And the best image she could get was imagining she had a coat of love that she would put on. And then she prayed to God, okay, if I was going to love these people, or if I did love these people, what would I do? And she said, well, I think I'd, I'd bake them cookies, I'd watch their kids for free, I'd invite them over for coffee, I would lend them things and not expect them to be returned. And she started doing that. And it wasn't natural, and she didn't like it but she felt that was what God was calling her to do. And there were some changes. It wasn't dramatic at first. But you know what? She found that when they moved away, she cried. But not as much as she cried the day they came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so she had gone from somewhere far away to her neighbors here, and I don't know what her impact was when she was far away as a missionary, but I know what her impact was here. And then I think about how Jesus comes into our neighborhood, becomes our neighbor in the incarnation when he, the word made flesh, John's gospel, we talked about that at Christmas. What kind of neighbors does he find us to be? And yet, his father said, look, you're not going to prosper, but I want you to give your life on the cross so that they might prosper, so that we might prosper. And I believe that if that reality 
that God loved us, as Romans 5 says, when we were yet sinners, when we were yet enemies, God loved us. If that can burn into our hearts, then we have the wherewithal to live this way, to be planted with purpose, to make ourselves at home and to love in place, in the place that God has sent us. I don't know what you think about whether you understand what the enormity is of, of what God has for all of us, individually and collectively, but I pray that in this year of vision here at Garfield Memorial that you will listen and discover and learn. Let's pray. Lord, you do bring us on an amazing adventure, one that's beyond our imagination, so help us to enter into it as your body, as your people, and to hear your voice and to hear your calling and to know um, how we might be a city on a hill, how we might be yeast in the dough. And remember that we need to go and be immersed in the dough, but we also need to remember that we're yeast and that we have a unique calling uh, on our lives. So Lord, we can't do it alone, but we can do it with you. So uh, let it be as you call us to be in Jesus' name.